I was holding the hand of a dying woman who had died the next day, leaving her two kids behind with no parent anymore. I just remember feeling so overwhelmed by what do I know about this? But what happened was I just felt such a sweet, merciful reminder from God that I love these people more than you do, Ryan. And I have been here long before you. And to look for where God's working and in what I didn't know gave space for me to hear from people who did know, local pastors in Zimbabwe who were far from the public sphere. They had no social media presence or any, like they just were loving God's word and loving his people and loving their neighbors. And they had very clear visions for what could be done and should be done to realize the hopes and dreams of vulnerable families and children. This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Let's get started. Welcome to the Seeing God Podcast. Our guest today is Ryan Keith. He will tell us about how God is working through the local church and about how God caused him to care about things that he never cared about before. Ryan is the pastor of Strategic Initiatives at West Shore Free Church in Pennsylvania. Before serving there, he founded and served as the president of Forgotten Voices. Forgotten Voices partners with local churches in Southern Africa to empower families and caregivers to meet the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of orphaned and vulnerable children in their communities. Ryan has also served and continues to do so in a variety of other initiatives, including World Without Orphans and the World Health Organization's Inspire program, which provides strategies for ending violence against children. We'll put links to a lot of those things on the episodes page of our website. Ryan is married and has three children, ages 10, 7, and 4 and a half. He was introduced to God as a child through his parents, and he doesn't recall a time when he didn't love Jesus. He has seen his relationship with God grow to drive his actions and direct his life. So let's jump in now and hear about how God did direct Ryan's life to equip other people to love their neighbors and what he's seeing God use the local church to do. Could you just start by telling us a little bit about what you do as pastor of strategic initiatives? That is not the sort of title we get in most churches. So right. tell us what, what that means and what you're doing. Yeah, essentially the best way I've come up to explain it, because it is a it is an odd position for a church, is I'm essentially a public policy pastor. And I help our church grow in our mission, our vision, our values both as a as a staff, but also as a body and just do some critical thinking around what are the public policy challenges that we're facing as a region and how should our church step into that? So primarily what I do is I do a lot of external listening, listening to our community partners and people in the public square and help us create strategic initiatives that address community challenges 
and at the same time help us grow in our mission, vision, and values. So one example is right now, um, after a two-year listening initiative, we launched a foster care strategic initiative, encouraging our church family and staff to figure out how can they and we respond collectively to addressing the the foster care crisis, both prevention of it, intervention around it, and then help strengthen reunification on the other end of the spectrum. When you said a listening initiative for two years, what, what did that look like? Yeah, it was really fascinating. Um, our senior pastor was relatively new from Texas to our area in central Pennsylvania and had traveled with me to Africa when I was still working for Forgotten Voices and he saw our community listening projects that we were doing in, in Zambia that he had visited. And he said, could you help me figure out how we could listen to our community? So he and I led a team of 15 people. And for two years, we asked three, essentially three simple questions. Um, what do you worry about? What do you dream about? And if you could do anything, what would you do? And those three simple questions, we did interviews with over 250 leaders from marketplace, healthcare, government, law enforcement, and education, just asking those questions and just listening to what our neighbors told us. And then out of that, we saw a breakdown of the family, limited access to transportation, a lack of mentoring, and confusion around how to access social services. So out of that, we um, focused on the foster care crisis that has grown significantly in our area, mostly due to opioids. So it's a way that our church could creatively step into something um, and meet the needs of our neighbors um, through through this listening exercise. It wasn't what I would have chosen to do, but it's what our neighbors told us. So that's that's always helpful to listen. One of the descriptions I read about you said that you are passionate about listening to people and exploring collaborative partnerships mm-hmm. to improve our world with local voices leading the way. Mm-hmm. So when you were back earning your bachelor's degree in politics, right. is that who you set out to be? No, in short, no. I, I've always been fascinated with politics because I think politics at its essence is taking a diverse group of people with limited resources to realize the not yet. Like, what do they long for and how do we galvanize people and limited resources to achieve something together that will lead to change and hopefully an improvement? So politics at its essence is that. And so I've always been intrigued by this idea of mobilizing people to achieve the not yet. And so I set out to do politics and God has taken me in various twists and turns. But essentially what I'm doing today has not changed in that desire to mobilize people. And I have far more clarity, I hope, um, and, and, and also far more questions than I did when I was 20, you know, in college. But yeah, I, I think in its essence, yes. But back at the time, I couldn't have imagined a strategic initiatives pastor. And I certainly never cared about Africa, actually, uh, when I was in college. I never had any aspirations to work overseas or do missions work or, yeah, none of that. So that that has been quite the journey to follow the Lord that I love. So in 2005, you were 25 years old. And you had been working for a number of years in economic development in Pennsylvania with local Mm -hmm. government and the systems there. And um, you were actually accepted to pursue a graduate degree at Harvard University in public policy, I presume. Um, But you didn't do that. You passed. 
is pretty astonishing. Why did you do that? At the time, it wasn't actually public policy. It was actually going to go, I was going to study at the Divinity School. There was a program of 50 students, a master's program, 50 students at the Divinity School there, which is not a um, bastion for evangelical thought. But I was going to be one of one or two evangelicals with a cohort of people all over the world looking at how people of faith can work together for social change. That was what I was going to go study. And I really wanted to go. I had actually quit my job. I had rented an apartment in Boston. I had hired a replacement in my job. Like I was moving. And why I did that is because um, some of you might have, I mean, you might know of Henry Blackaby experiencing God. And that's been such a profound influence on my life. And I had been reading Henry Blackaby. I was reading it every six years, basically, since beginning of high school. Such a big part of Blackaby's thing and experiencing God is just looking for where God is working and join him in that. And I was just struck by, wait, God is opening up this door to go to Zimbabwe, a land I never cared about. I didn't care about orphan care or Africa, but it was clear God was working in the hearts of people in my church. And they asked me not to go to Harvard and instead go to Zimbabwe. And just as I sat with the Lord and a whole series of circumstances occurred, I just felt like it would be disobedient if I didn't go to Zimbabwe. And and I had to give up what I had always dreamed of. I'd always dreamed of going to Harvard. I'd always dreamed of um, working with different faith groups to address social change. I, that, that, as long as I could remember, those two things were true. But I felt like God, in this case, wanted me to be obedient and have faith. And And so I didn't go. So... It surprised a lot of people, including my parents, actually. So. <laughs> sure. <laughs> surprised me. Well, I, that was an incredible step of faith to do that. So your church asked you to go to Zimbabwe. Yeah. So when you say go, like you went and lived there, you just kind of made a trip. Yeah. So they asked me to go on a two-week trip to do fact-finding. And at the time, I, as you mentioned, I was doing community development, and it was a young adult group. And I, our senior pastor and another pastor at our church, both just were praying about it. And they felt like I needed to go on this trip. So they, I mean, I give them so much credit for praying and discerning because that was a big ask for me to give up Harvard. And they just both felt so clear that I was to go on this trip. And I didn't see how I could do both. And so I prayed about it and um, ultimately went. So it was just a two-week trip. And many people have asked me, like, why couldn't you have just gone to Harvard later? But I felt like I knew enough about community development to know that a two-week trip was going to be an inadequate scratch. Like, if I thought that I'd figured out in two weeks, I knew I hadn't done enough. And so I, I, even though the trip was only two weeks, I thought that it would take at least a year, which, again, was naive at the time to think that I could figure it out in a year, right? Um, so I think it, the initial ask was a two-week ask to go to Zimbabwe and see what we should do as a church to address the orphan crisis in Zimbabwe. That was the ask. And I felt like I couldn't go to Harvard after the two week trip and I needed to pass on that and, and go back someday, hopefully. So the goal was how can your local church do something about orphans in Zimbabwe? What did that turn into? 
on that first trip, we saw about 12 different intervention strategies for how local community leaders in Zimbabwe were addressing the orphan crisis there. And our goal was to figure out what to do first. And honestly, no surprise to you probably is it was overwhelming, right? And I, I remember I went one time and then I went a second time and I was holding the hand of a dying woman who had died the next day, leaving her two kids behind with no parent anymore. I just remember feeling so overwhelmed by what do I know about this? But what happened was I just felt such a sweet, merciful reminder from God that I love these people more than you do, Ryan. And I have been here long before you. And to look for where God's working and in what I didn't know gave space for me to hear from people who did know local pastors in Zimbabwe who were far from the public sphere. They had no social media presence or any, like they just were loving God's word and loving his people and loving their neighbors. And they had very clear visions for what could be done and should be done to realize the hopes and dreams of vulnerable families and children. And so forgotten voices really emerged out of what we didn't know, leaving space for those who did know local pastors and community leaders who had clear visions. And so forgotten voices essentially was birthed out of the simple idea that there are forgotten voices, local churches, local people working hard every day. And what if we stop worrying about what we should do and instead gave everything we had to realize the hopes and dreams of these faithful community leaders who were willing to give God everything. And people love that to the degree that we got lots of money very quickly. I never raised any money before in my life. And people all over the country heard about this kid who gave up Harvard to go to Africa and people that I travel with told stories and people started sending checks. And the church finally came to me about about a year later and said, maybe two years later and said, you've got to start a nonprofit because we're getting checks from South Dakota and California. And this is bigger than we thought it was going to be. And um, we don't have time for this. They they were fully supportive, (laughs) but it it had taken on a life of its own. And I laughed and I was like, I didn't want to start a nonprofit. Like I just wanted to help you all. And they said, well, you got to start one because people are giving you money and it can't stay here. This is such a fascinating journey that you have been on and, and, it, and it remains. You've established something that still exists and is moving on right. uh, with another president and, you know, other people leading it, which is a, a real mark of leadership. But like right now, can you give us some stats, like how many orphans and how many pastors are involved, that kind of thing? Yeah, within Forgotten Voices or just, yeah. so that one project, we originally wanted to help one church help 120 kids in Zimbabwe. That's where we started. And we've proceeded to help over 300 churches and 25,000 kids. And some of our tools have been used directly by other local churches um, in, in, in Africa. We've probably impacted maybe a thousand churches, it's approximate, but we've directly impacted over 300 And it's been such a joy. And our tools have been used in, I think, about 30 countries now across Africa. So it's just, it's such a joy to see how humble beginnings um, can be used by God. And you can't outgive the Lord. I mean, that's one of the key things I've learned. You can't outgive the Lord. And you have have mobilized over 16,000 partners, people who are contributing resources to this. Yeah, the lots of people around the world who are, who have given to this. And yeah, it's just been, it's been nothing short of extraordinary to see God do miraculous things. 
Well, I think our listeners should know that you did go back to Harvard, right? Mm, right. At what point did you do that? So about four years in to starting what would become Forgotten Voices. Forgotten Voices itself as an entity, it was only two years old. But I've been going back and forth to Africa about four times a year for four years. And I felt like the, the situation was so grave and so complicated that I really felt like these people needed the best. And I applied again, but this time to the Harvard Kennedy School, which is their school of government and public policy. And so I applied and they graciously accepted me to come. And actually, I, I say this just as a testimony to God that I actually ended up getting a full ride and they paid me to go and gave me a stipend to go. And my only requirement, I didn't need to teach. I didn't need to do any TA work or anything. I, they said to me, we want you to keep working at Forgotten Voices with the limited time you have while being a full-time master's student. But just because we feel like something is happening, that you're getting success in ways that we're not in Zimbabwe as a university. And we want you to help us figure out the integration of faith and community development. So what I gave up originally and thought I would never, I didn't know if I'd get back. I got back for free and I had a much greater platform. It was just cool how God made a way for that to happen. And I had classmates from 54 countries at the Kennedy School. And so now my reach, you know, and and the influence people have had on me is far greater than it would have been if I had originally gone. So again, it's just, that doesn't always happen. But when it does, I, I want to give great testimony to God for the amazing ways that he has allowed me to see the world through my classmates and through that experience. Yeah, well, it's interesting to hear what you originally wanted to learn at Harvard yeah. School of Divinity. And it was kind of like a hazy picture of what you ended up to yeah. learn. And, That's right. And apply, you know, a much more practical, specific, you know, on the ground sort of thing. I am hearing you talk about something that I I love, and that is that God said that to fulfill everything that he expects of us as human beings, fulfill his law. And even back in the Old Testament, you know, when he's given us the law, the Mosaic law, you know, that we are to love God and we're to love our neighbor. And Jesus, you know, reiterated that and said, that's the fulfillment of the law. And you are very much speaking about tangible ways that you are as a local church, the the body of Christ, as it calls Christians in, in the Bible, is loving the community, the neighbors. That's what you're talking about. That's what you've been talking about. You've been enabling African pastors. Right. What do you see God presently doing right now? Here you are, strategic initiatives. You talked about foster care. How is God helping the church love neighbors? Yeah, and just to bridge the Harvard story to to that question, on the day of graduation, I had this advisor, professor, good friend of mine still to this day, and she said, I get that Christians are generous. I just wish you all were more thoughtful. And I think that that has really spoken to me, both at my time at Harvard and then in the days since, that, that, that we can be and should be thoughtful people that our knee-jerk reactions or our first emotional instinct on how to respond to a challenge is rarely correct. I mean, it, it, it should certainly we should do things with passion and joy, but we should be thoughtful about how we steward God's resources because our lives are a living testimony to the hope that we have in Jesus and who he is. 
And John Stott famously said, we might be the only Bible that people ever read. And so they never pick it up. They are going to discern and dissect who is God based on how we live. And so I think as I think about that, where is God working? God is working through his local church all over the world. And, you know, right now, you know, when this episode is being recorded, we're in the midst of COVID-19. And I think as we think about the coronavirus and how it's impacted and limited travel, most of the Western response to the global orphan crisis has been to orphanages and has been to missions trip centered um, philosophies where you have to go there in order to fund it. And people have to go if they don't go and they see it. And if they're not personally funding an orphanage, we can't help all these kids. But that's just not so. I, I, that's just not the world that I've seen. The vast majority of children around the world are known by someone and, and local churches around the world and, and every country um, are doing something to equip families. And so at, at the end of the day, like what I'm most seeing and I'm most excited about right now is how local churches in every corner in rural areas, um, underground churches are working or galvanizing around the gospel and God's call to look after widows and orphans and they're moving. And COVID-19 might have shut down mission trips. It might have drawn down funding for the global orphan crisis. But local churches and remote villages are still collecting their tithes and offerings and are still choosing out of all the things they could choose to do that with, that money with, that limited resources, they're choosing to invest in loving widows and orphans and bringing about righteousness in their communities. And that's just awesome. And that's not a story that we get to hear because too often we're the heroes of our story and the, the poor are pawns in our journey instead of also living testimonies to the hope that they have in Jesus as well. Mm. I, I like that, that phrase, you know, they're pawns in our journey. I, yeah. I don't remember. I just, just so I'm careful. I, I, I read it somewhere, a version of that. And I think it's just been clarified in my mind. Um, somebody said that basically like Christians too often view the poor as, um, side actors in our story and and um that we're we're the hero of the story and and the poor are side actors in our journey for self-realization instead of like our brothers and sisters in christ and and anyone even people who don't know the lord yet are image bearers of god and we're a mere fragment of that we are image bearers of god but god's the story not us i like that so what are the hallmarks of God's work that you have learned to recognize? There's so many attributes of God, but I think I think two that really stuck out to me as I thought, I think about your question is, is um, humility and faithfulness. Like, like the, there's so many people around the world who are humbly and faithfully loving God's word, loving his people, doing the best that they can far from trying to get market share or competing with other churches or trying to look relevant to their neighbors. Like they're just listening to God's word, listening to the spirit and faithfully obeying. And, and I, uh, just in October, I got to go to a conference in Thailand. There were about 500 global leaders in Thailand from 70 different countries all working with a movement called World Without Orphans. It's absolutely remarkable how God is mobilizing his church to look after widows and orphans and, and strengthen families to care for kids. 
And I just met some of these people who were serving in places like Myanmar and Nigeria and Central Asia and, you know, the underground church in China. And they have no platform, right? They have no social media presence. They have no virtual following of any kind. You know, they're not looking to write a book or become a famous speaker. They are just faithfully serving the Lord and loving his people and loving their neighbors and how God is multiplying the church through their faithfulness and their humility. And they're there to learn and ask questions. And I was just taken by their curiosity and their humbleness and their faithfulness. And anytime I see someone willing to do something for the Lord, when no one else will ever know about it, I'm so drawn to that. And those forgotten stories that aren't so loud or they aren't dynamically or exotically presented. They're just doing God's work. That is just remarkable to me. And, and it's, it, it underscores the grandness yet faithful humbleness of our God. Um, yeah. Cause the story is about him. And, and too often we, we feel like we need to pizzazz up the, the simple, humble, faithful truths of loving well for a long time. So you're saying that you recognize God at work when you see people that are like that. Yeah. When people are humble and faithful and people, I, with Forgotten Voices, one of our best indicators were finding out about people who had been doing something for a long time, not because they knew that there might be money or they even didn't even know anything about Forgotten Voices, but they just believe God's word is true. And they were called to look after widows and orphans and they've been doing it for years with very limited resources, like a dollar or two a week and tithes and offerings. And their church was doing faithful, humble work. That was a much better partner than someone who was well-trained in project management and could put together a great grant proposal or not that those things aren't important, but people who are just humble and faithful. Uh, they, they don't get to see a good friend of mine once said people like that who are faithful and humble don't get to see the beauty that lies in their wake. They're just doing good work, right? It's like a duck landing on a pond. The duck is just swimming in mucky water and doesn't see the beautiful waves that were left in its wake. And, um, and I think faithful, humble people are like that. And it's, I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to the hidden hero who just needs someone to help lift their tired arms, but doesn't want to be known at all. Mm. It's true though, that that is what is characteristic of the spirit at work in someone. I mean, Jesus was such an incredible picture of that. He commanded a, a huge audience. Well, a big one, and he made had a, a huge influence, but it wasn't because he was, you know, had a big Facebook presence. <laughs> right? Yeah, I run into people all the time, particularly young people, but really any age. People feel like they have to get to a certain size of influence or platform, and then they can start obeying the Lord. But I just haven't found that's how God works, right? And even the Bible is filled with people who were plucked out of obscurity with all of their challenges and, and reasons why they could have said no, but they said yes out of faith. And God mightily used them. You know, I was just reading this morning about Mary and just the simplicity of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Like, who is she and where did she come from? We don't know her lineage at all, but like God was well-pleased in her and made her the caregiver of the author of the world. Like, <laughs> 
It's crazy, right? And she was willing. Or Moses, stumbling, bumbling Moses, like, let my people go. Like, it's, it's amazing how people who just are willing to give God everything actually are the true heroes of the story because they realize in their willingness that it's God's work through them. And that just multiplies better. So we should worry less about what we don't have and more worry about are we willing to give what we have to the Lord in full? Is there anything about God that has surprised you? He loves to laugh. I, 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 he's a serious God for sure. Right. But I think, I think his laughter and his joy, his creativity, like, I mean, the, the image, that animal that always comes to mind is the platypus, right? Like, um, just, I think God is a fun God, but I think his, his delight, uh, in being with his children. And, uh, the other day I was watching my, my father interact with my kids and my kids were telling just ridiculous jokes that are kid jokes. They're not that funny, but the way they tell them with such conviction just makes you laugh. And my dad's delight and my mom's delight in watching their grandchildren tell stories, I think is just a glimpse of the joy God gets when we are obedient, but even just when we're not, that he just delights in when we abide in him, when we just come to him as we are. I think he delights in that. And and I think so often we think about fear and reverence, but God delights in giving good gifts to his kids. And he wants to, and uh, he delights to be with us. I, I think God's laughter and joy surprises me because I'm a serious person. I like to have fun, but I, I take things too seriously. And I think about serious things all the time, it feels like. And God, in my alone time with him and my walks and talks with him, he, he often reminds me that he enjoys being with me and to enjoy the time that I have with him. Mm, that's precious. It has been awesome to be with you today, Ryan. I so appreciate your heartbeat. And I really have uh, been encouraged by your talking about the local church loving people in our community for the people in the community's sake and listening, not being riding in on a great white horse to do something. So you look like a great Christian, but that you have spent so much time listening to people that actually reflects what God does too. So thank you, Ryan. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we close? Sure. I mean, I, I think the one thing that God has taught me out of all the things that I've learned, the probably the number one thing that God has taught me is that God doesn't ask us to be God. He asks us to be faithful and to take ourselves less seriously, that our, our job is every day to be willing to give God everything and then to do that. And he uh, who created the heavens and the earth, we can trust him and we can delight in giving him our everything and our journeys will be grander. Uh, with him as the center of our story. Thank you, Ryan. We appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord.
If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on submit a story. God is doing things all over in all of his people, and we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at God Seeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God. <laughs>